The following podcast will offer you a number of opportunities to shout out, You lucky git. Thank you. Gareth Jones on speed! Good morning, welcome to Gareth Jones on speed. I don't usually start with good morning because we often record in the evening or the afternoon, but on this occasion we're recording in the morning and we're recording out of doors. Go on Zog, tell him where we are. We're on our way to the British Grand Prix. <laughs> hey. uh, and, and where exactly are we, Gareth? Well, be precise. Uh, OK, I'll work backwards, right? We're, we're in London, we're in West London, sitting in traffic. But I don't mind sitting in traffic too much because the car that we're sitting in traffic in is a Lotus Elise. And not just any old Lotus Elise. It's the supercharged Lotus Elise. You lucky git. In the last show, I said that I thought I was going to get the SE, a special edition. No, no, it was the SC, supercharged. Oh, we like superchargers. I don't know if you've read up on superchargers, but I know you you studied a lot of um, the golden age of motor racing. So you're interested in Mercedes in the days when they used superchargers on the old Grand Prix cars, didn't yep, you? Yep, yep. They fell out of fashion, didn't they, superchargers? They fell out of fashion basically because one of the disadvantages you have with a supercharger, the advantage of being that it's a great way of getting more power out of a given displacement, is that you have to put energy into the supercharger to make it work. And so that is uh, yeah. uh, you know, draining some of the power from your engine. Uh, and so what people tend to use these days instead of a supercharger is a, a turbo supercharger or a turbocharger yeah and in fact we just passed uh, quite a nice 911 turbo back uh, there, yeah. which we might just have heard on the soundtrack but um, the advantage of the turbo supercharger being that you're, you're using essentially waste energy in the exhaust to drive your supercharger rather than driving it with a belt off the engine and kind of directly drawing engine power so the uh, conclusion I draw from that is that a turbocharger is probably a good way of gaining efficiency but a supercharger is a good way of gaining extra performance. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, also a good way of gaining performance uh, at altitude, for example. Uh, you know, back in uh, back in the days of piston-engined aircraft, uh, supercharged engines give you a huge advantage at, uh, at greater altitude. The Merlin was supercharged, wasn't it, in the Spitfire? Um, I think it I was. I believe it was. Yeah, yeah, I believe it was. Spitfire wouldn't be a bad name for this car, then, if it wasn't owned by BMW. I think they own it these days, don't they, with the, t- the Triumph heritage that they now own. But it's a British sports car brand, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, if Triumph hadn't already made a car called the Spitfire, I, th- I think Bristol would really be the only company who could make a car called the Spitfire, and it would really kind of seem right. You know, they've yeah. got the whole they've got the whole aviation heritage thing going on. Do you remember Messerschmitt? He used to make the little bubble cars in Germany. What a shame that they're not still going because you could have a direct comparison between a car called the Spitfire these days and the Messerschmitt. Now that would be entertaining, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, I've been very entertained. I've been driving this car for a couple of days now. I've managed to get about 250 miles in, slightly quicker than the uh, four miles per hour that we're doing at the moment. And how has it been? It's been absolutely fabulous. It requires a bit of shove in the left leg. The clutch is slightly heavier than I was anticipating, but I think that's probably because this thing produces about the same power as my Toyota Sora, which is 218 brake horsepower. Wow. So I think you probably need a hefty clutch for that. And I was kind of, because it's such a lightweight car, and I want to discuss how light it is in a moment, um, I was expecting the clutch to feel a bit more like a little hot hatch, something lighter and less of a shove. Maybe it's just the spring, the way that it's set up, but it requires a bit of a shove. But it's a joy to drive. I think it's actually employing technology from Gallifrey. That's what I think. It's blue. 
for a start. So it's clearly it's clearly in the in the TARDIS zone. Yeah, it's clearly built by the people who built the TARDIS. It's not bigger inside than it is outside, but there again, it's not big outside. It's only a little car. And yeah, it, we've crammed stuff into every nook and cranny in this car to fit in what we reckon we need for the weekend. And, and it does that quite and well. I've, and I've barely got to change of clothes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't need clothes when you're dressed in something as lovely as an Elise. I mean, that's all, all that's you That's what need. I'm counting on. Actually, I'm surprised. I know there's not many people around on the A40 at the moment. It's all big diesel trucks, as you can no doubt hear, and air brakes. But I went for a drive through East London, through Hackney, the other day. And the number of people who hooted and waved and screamed, it's nice car, mate, it's nice car. People do like the Elise. And I think it's because it's size, it's not threatening. If this was a Ferrari, twice the bulk and, you know, twice the physical size as well. And several times the price. Yeah. I, I think people would feel more threatened by it. Yeah, people, old people are more inclined to think, oh, yeah, you flash kit, you know, they're, yeah. they're, 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 yeah, yeah, whereas people, yeah, people kind of warm to a, uh, a smaller car like an Elise a bit more. Yeah, it's, um, it's a sweet little thing, it's unthreatening, and if you know your cars, you know it's a really good car to drive as well. So, so ha- how's the, um, how's the pickup? Because, I mean, one of the things about a supercharged engine is that, uh, y- y- you get your boost straight away, yep. whereas, whereas with a turbocharger you get a bit of lag. Yep. Um, there is no lag. There doesn't seem to be the kind of torquey push that you get from a big six with 218 brake. It's more of a, more like an RX-8 kind of, oh, it continues to go, you know, it just sort of pulls fast and steady. But coming back to that thing about it having Time Lord technology, it doesn't seem to have anything between 40 mile per hour and 70 miles per hour <laughs> there's no acceleration honest officer the honest officer it goes straight from 40 mile per hour to 70 mile per hour there's no in between let's hear the engine now we'll let these bikes go past we've got we can just do a bit of revs you can hear the engine here we go it's a it's a toyota that's it that's all you're getting for now until the road opens up it's about 20 centimeters behind my ear at the moment and that's really intoxicating it's, it's nice to hear your engine. That's oh, good. A couple of things I'm a little bit surprised by. I'm, I'm surprised there's air conditioning on this car. Yes. Uh, that that was not something I expected to see. And uh, I and I'm disappointed that it's got electric windows. You don't need electric windows. I, I, I don't think so. Lightweight sports cars, you don't load them up with things that add weight and drain power. No. It, it's a lovely sunny day, so uh, we got the top down. We don't need air conditioning. No, we don't need air conditioning. My favourite bit of the car, I do love the way that the roof works. You haven't seen the way that the roof works yet. It's in the boot. I'll show you that later, Zog. The way it unclips and folds is really practical, I think. OK, I'll be looking forward to seeing that. But my favourite bit of the car, apart from the fact that it is a Lotus and it really handles and it really goes and it's just great, I've always liked the Elise, is the cup holder. Oh, yes! Because they've extended the aluminium theme of the car beautifully. As you know, it's got an aluminium chassis which has been bonded together. It's basically glued together, which is the right thing to do with aluminium. But the cup holder is a little aluminium ring on a Y-shaped fork with a leather hoop that hangs down from it that you sit your um, apple and blueberry juice or espresso in. And the thing just slides in and out. And, oh, it's delicious. And it's lightweight, just like this car. Now then, the traffic's opening up, so I think we might be able to go for a bit of a spin and we can talk about that. OK. 
Okay. Hi, this is Bruno Senna. You're listening to Gareth Jones on Speed. You can probably hear from the sound of the little Lotus, or perhaps I should say Toyota 1.8 litre supercharged VVTi engine just behind our ears. Look, we found a bit of open road, and Zog's getting a chance to drive our little supercharged Lotus Elise now. Um, you like it, Zog? Love it. It's, ve- it's very precise. That's the one thing I noticed about it, that whilst it's really useful when you're on motorways and A-roads, when you get to roundabouts, being able to pinpoint your position to genuinely apex in a way that you don't normally do with road cars, it's just really great. Yeah, it's, it, as you said, precise is the word. It's that gear change is lovely, steering is beautiful. Um, yeah, it just you know, it really inspires confidence. Um, it's, it's, it's just what a small sports car should be like. And even though it's slightly damp underfoot at the moment, it's pretty moist out there now. We've got the roof on. You can probably hear a difference in the sound. I've detected no sense of skitterishness about it. And with a mid-engine car, that's always a slight concern that it will swap ends pretty quickly. But it hasn't felt like it wanted to do that at any point. It's a very, very sure-footed... What's the word? Um, Jackrabbit, I think. It just stays stuck to the road beautifully. Um, And, you know, we haven't had a... I think we haven't had a moment of tyre chirp, you know, not not a hint of wheel spin ever, despite... uh, yeah, some enthusiastic acceleration in lower gears in the wet. You see, my, my belief about the Lotus Elise is that for all those people who want to drive really quick cars and spend most of their time with either themselves or their girlfriend or partner or wife or child in the passenger seat with them, you don't need anything more than two seats. And the kind of joy you can get from a relatively cheap, lightweight sports car like this you know, far exceeds the joy versus guilt that you get for driving a much bigger, heavier, more expensive, thirsty sports car. And if you're thinking about, you know, the way that we're going to enjoy our driving in the future, the Tesla Roadster is a a good example of that. And where does that come from? Well, it's essentially an Elise with an electric motor. So it seems that the Elise is already started that leap towards the future and it's not a new car anymore is it well no it's we were just talking about this uh, last night weren't we that uh, it's um what a, a 14 15 year old design now but it really looks bang up to date it's got beautiful lines beautiful proportions there's no styling on it that's dated in any way that's something that you that you really only find with the best car designs i think you know yeah. it's actually taken me a long time to drive a Lotus Elise, I've driven a number of Lotuses. I nearly said low tie then, but as you corrected me the other day, it's not Latin, so it's Lotuses, not low tie. Well, I, yeah, I think Lotuses. I think, <laughs> I think you're right. I think so. I've never driven the Elise, and I remember being genuinely excited when the Elise came out, thinking that, wow, this really is a proper Lotus. If Colin Chapman were alive, he'd really approve of what Roman Artioli, who was running the company at the time, had signed off and allowed them to do. And that car, even though it's only evolved a little bit over time, has evolved enough to keep it current and up-to-date, I think. Conceptually, the Elise, if you compare it to the Esprit and, you know, and other preceding Lotuses, was getting back 
much more to to something like the original seven uh, yeah. the you know that embodies that idea of Colin Chapman's that if you want to add speed you add lightness you make a thing lighter and it goes quicker that's a better approach I think to a small sports car than just cramming more power into it and not worrying about how heavy it is so much and combined with that you know they were very innovative in what they did with the manufacturing of the Elise the uh, aluminium extrusions and, and you know bonding these sections together and from what I recall it seemed like you know they were probably they were probably pushing that about as far as they reasonably could at the time and what they managed to do is to come out with a really spectacular car that we see now has really stood the test of time well I've really enjoyed driving the Elise it's been a revelation to me just how good it genuinely is it's just the right car for the British Grand Prix and to be honest I can't wait to have a good look at the well what's called the, the Eagle when it comes out to see if they have managed to move things on and make a car which will genuinely compete with Porsche but for the moment I'd love to say that we'd sign you off with a, a quick rev and a flick round a roundabout but unfortunately we've got a big old slow Renault Spass in front of us here as we approach this roundabout so we're not going to hear yeah here we go listen see, see if we can get past him aren't we? I don't know let's see lovely Gareth Jones on speed at the British Grand Prix great one of the benefits of being a, a hardcore motorsport fan and being cheeky is that occasionally, if you ask nicely enough, you get invited to a Grand Prix, not as a, a paying punter, but as a guest of a Formula One team or one of their sponsors. And so Zog and I are visiting the British Grand Prix this weekend as guests of ING, who of course sponsor Renault, which means that we've had access to the Paddock Club. Which is a very nice place to be, isn't it? Zoc? It is a lovely place to be. You lucky git. It takes watching a race onto a whole new level of luxury, I'd say. I've had a bit of luxury in my time. When we were at Le Mans recently, we were there with Peugeot, and the hospitality there was fantastic. But this... Well, hang on. First of all, you've got to paint a picture of what Silverstone is normally like as a punter. It's a windswept gravel pit. I usually it's not the, the with the, muddy corners unless it's nice and sunny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's that's that sums it up. But to describe the place that we're in now, it really is a veritable oasis of greenery and finery and champagne and reasonably good music in the background actually as well. That's true. Well, yeah, I mean we've got lovely grass underfoot here, uh, and it's not soggy. We're being force-fed strawberries at every opportunity. Uh, that is when seems... we're when we're not eating melon or almonds or drinking champagne or free beer or the excellent espresso. Well, I have to say the the um, uh, that was an excellent lunch that Renault. Uh, supplied us with quite delicious uh, <laughs> I don't think we should be rubbing this in we, sh we should take no, a more journalistic this approach is, this, is, this is a flavour you know we'd, we'd be giving a flavour of what it's like and, and you know we, we, we had a very good lunch there's, 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 there's no avoiding it it's so clean any time anyone leaves a glass or a cup lying around it just, it's not going to stay there until the end of the weekend it gets cleared up immediately yeah. it's just lovely it's just a lovely lovely way to enjoy a race weekend let's see if we can describe what we're in here it's effective Effectively, a kind of elongated diamond shape that is probably 
I don't know. What is that? It's a quarter of a kilometre of... long or something? Oh, blimey. I was going to say, is it, is it the size of a football pitch? Usually. Uh, by, by the, uh, <laughs> the whatever, whatever the SI unit is. It's a length um, of 400 Labradors, if we use the standard James Allen unit, I think. The, <laughs> the 400 Labradors. There you go. <laughs> it's partly carpeted and partly grassy. Where, where nice it's carpeted, it's also got really good drainage as well. So I, if it does chuck it down this weekend, which it could conceivably do, although it's been really, really nice up to now, I don't think this carpet's going to get soggy. I think it'll drain away they've thought of everything haven't they I, I think you're probably right and we're sitting on some very comfy little uh, little mini leather sofas which are scattered around the grass there. you said a nice thing about the furniture earlier on here that the furniture here is better than the furniture in a not lot just of... not in your home or my home but most in people's, most people's homes. homes it's, it's true yeah no, no. Oh, there's lovely white white leather sofas in the uh, in the little tent in the middle there the little marquee you can probably hear there's a, there's a DJ playing in the marquee, so the uh, the music in the background is uh, is Mr DJ, and uh, it, it's it's kicking actually. It's quite cool and quite enjoying the tunes. The, the way they've got this place laid out, they have along the four sides of the diamond. You have each of the teams or the sponsors own. For want of a better word, restaurant. I mean, to call them marquees is, is doing them down. They've got hardwood floors, stainless steel, highly polished frames, monitors, giant plasma screens absolutely everywhere. Staff who, like Zog says, clear up after you and bring you drinks constantly. But in the centre of the diamond is what they call the Haddock Club Entertainment Lounge, I think they call it, don't they? Which is where the DJ is, more plasma screens, a central bar... Um, some video games which you can sit in simulators of Formula One cars. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you say video game, but there's a proper race car tub there with a video screen just in front of the cockpit so you can sit in a real cockpit and pretend you're actually out there on the circuit. Of course, everyone's driving around Silverstone probably getting quite competitive about it, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you can sit in real cars as well. There's a... Now, let me get the name of this car right. It's not the McLaren Mercedes SLR. It's the Mercedes SLR McLaren. That's what, that's what it's actually called. If Park. you're sure. Yeah. If you're sure. Yeah, Parked in, in, in a sort of a gun... Is it gunmetal grey or black? What would you call that? I'd call that... Yeah, gunmetal grey. And I have no, I've not sat in one yet, so I might have to go might and have a sit down. Have a, OK, yeah, no, that, that sounds good. Actually, which reminds me, of course, what's our mnemonic for finding the Lotus in the car park again? It's uh, uh, for- uh, left at the F40, uh, right at the F430, and uh, just behind the uh, convertible Bentley. Yeah, That's right, yeah. there we go. So, as you can tell, we're having a good time. This is Gareth Jones on Speed, brought to you by Champagne and Strawberries and a carpeted outdoor area. News broke this weekend at Silverstone that from 2010, the home of the British Grand Prix will no longer be this old airfield in Northamptonshire, that it's moving to another former airfield, I believe, Donington. So I feel slightly sad about that news, not just because we're enjoying Silverstone today, but I know it's a bit of a dust bowl, but it does feel like it belongs here, doesn't it? Yeah, we know it is the home of the British Grand Prix. It is a fabulous circuit. I, I can't imagine that, that, that Donington will, will, will you know, offer as good uh, a race. It, the whole thing just does seem rather weird, the, the way it was announced. And can they really get Donington ready in two years to host a Grand Prix? The circuit itself has to be modified. A lot of infrastructure has to be developed. Roads, in particular. Access is one of the most important things, isn't it? Yeah, you know, that's all got to be sorted out. And can they really do that in two years? It doesn't seem realistic, does it? I I think that's very unlikely, Um, not least 
because I think 80% of Britain's construction firms are already busy on the Olympics, so there just isn't going to be the number of trucks available and diggers to sort of get stuff done, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, maybe you're right. It's not enough slack. I don't know. Maybe it'll be Robert Kubitz's family will be imported from <laughs> Poland. They seem to run the construction industry these days. The concern is that Silverstone is about to spend a fortune on upgrading this place anyway, and that they probably won't want to do that if they're not going to be hosting Grand Prix here anymore. Uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, I mean, we don't have any insight into that, but yeah, as you say, they, uh, there's a plan to spend £30 million pounds or so on, on improving Silverstone. By the sounds of it, it seems like the fee to Bernie Eccleston of £11 million pounds or so to, to host the race was was the problem for the BRDC and Silverstone. This is the root of it all, really. I think it's an ongoing battle of wills. Yeah, it's money. money. Uh, Between Bernie and the BRDC, I think Bernie once described the BRDC as a a bunch of old gentlemen who you don't want to do business with. Excuse me if I quoted that incorrectly, but I think that's probably a fairly accurate description of his sentiment. Mm. He'd rather do business with very, very wealthy people or government agencies who just want to plough money in, and there is no government money for the Grand Prix in Britain, again, because of the Olympics, because they're spending so much money on the Olympics and they haven't got the cash to spend on motorsport, which is, in the government's eyes, probably they see it as cash-rich anyway. Why should they help it out? There is something in that. you know. You know the, the, there is a lot of money in F1. There are much better things to spend public money on than, than Formula One, to me, I think, much as I love Formula One. It doesn't need government money as much as a lot of other things need government money. Having said that, an enormous amount of money is being wasted on the Olympics. There's a lot of overspending going on there. And, yeah, you could probably have secured a couple of British Grand Prix for, for, for a fraction of what is being wasted on the Olympics. There we go. It seems to fly in the face of everything that we've heard from Bernie Eccleston as well. Bernie said that you know, ultimately he wanted a London Grand Prix. He wants a Paris Grand Prix. He wants every Grand Prix to reflect the culture and the glamour of a city in the way that, say, Monaco does or Singapore should do this year. Well, if, if the race is moving up to Donington, it's the opposite of what he wants. The announcement was slightly curious in that it came from... Bernie and the FIA together, it's seldom that they're united these days, is it? Uh, yeah, exactly. So they seem to be very much united on this particular occasion when they haven't appeared to be quite so united uh, <laughs> in recent weeks. As people so often say, you know, money drives so many things um, in F1. When there's a sufficient financial interest there, the interests come together. But just to go back on what you were to what you were saying about Bernie and the BRDC, it would be a terrible shame if the race moves away from Silverstone to a circuit that's a lot less special with less heritage and and which I think would offer a, a less good race you know because of a little petty argument like that that would that would be a huge shame that's often the case though you know where there's big money involved it boils down to rivalries and personal vendettas and stuff like that I'm not suggesting that there is one here if my lawyers are listening but it could be influencing this decision Now, another bit of news that broke this weekend while we're here at Silverstone is that this will be David Coulthard's last British Grand Prix. DC's retiring, which I think we've probably intimated in the past, haven't we, in this year that this could be his last season. And we were right. Yeah, well, it just just seems like he's reached that point where um, there are so many younger quicker guys coming through you know he's had a good innings you know, I think he's done a great job at Red Bull he's been good for them and they've been good for him you know he's looking like a much more comfortable relaxed happy 
driver. New facial hair. Yeah, yeah. And it, it seems like it's the right time for him to leave, you know. Uh, you know, where would he go after Red Bull? It could only be to a, a less good team, and he's had a good run there. Yeah, it's, it's time to move on. He hasn't ruled out racing. He said that he might consider racing in the future. There's quite a lot of speculation that he's going to be one of the BBC pundits next year when Formula One goes to the Beeb. And that would be really good to have a very qualified and experienced driver who's up to date on Formula One. Someone who's driven the more or less current generation of cars would be a real asset to the BBC, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I could see him taking over the Martin Brundle role quite comfortably. He's got quite a mark to step up to. I think Brundle's set a fantastic standard for driver turned commentator and I think if the BBC don't take him on from ITV I think that would be a shame but it does seem that that's the way it's going to go. They'll want an all new team and I'll be sorry to not have Brundle on the commentary. We will miss Brundle if he doesn't go to the BBC and from what I've heard through the grapevine it's unlikely that he will because the BBC wants to stamp their own mark on it. So we could be seeing DC involved in F1 next year as a commentator but this does open up the possibility that he could go and race in other categories say for instance Le Mans oh yeah I'd, I'd love to see him race at Le Mans I hope I see him racing there in, in years to come we'll be there to see it definitely yeah, we will yeah. we will for the moment this is DC's last British Grand Prix and this is the last but one Grand Prix here at Silverstone for Formula 1 and there is another race on this weekend GP2 And the chap who was quickest in qualifying for the feature race in GP2 was Bruno Senna, nephew of the amazing Ayrton Senna. And I'm very pleased to say that we got a chance to talk to him for Gareth Jones on speed at Silverstone here in the paddock. You lucky git. Bruno Senna, thanks for finding time to talk to me on Gareth Jones on Speed. I have to say I was very impressed and a little surprised to see you hanging out at the fence there, signing autographs for fans. And you were there for a long time. Is that important to you? I think so. I think uh, these people came with um, my photos and obviously they uh, support me. So I don't see a reason why not to sign uh, uh, their photographs for them. If, If it's meaningful for them, then... To me, it's a pleasure to do it. Obviously, there is a <laughs> time limit for it because I don't have all the day to be signing photographs, but um, I'm, I'm happy enough to spend a few time doing it. You've got a spring in your step at the moment. Things are going well. Yes, they are. I think i got a good feel for the car at the moment, and the team is also on a great high. It's going well for me. Um, it's my second pole position in a row. Congratulations. Thanks. And, um, you know... Uh, Judging from our performances in the past, I'm pretty confident we can win the race tomorrow. If we cannot win the race, we get as many points as possible. But, uh, you know, in the end of the day, I need to finish the race before I can say I'm winning it. But uh, last time out in Manicur, I had a few technical problems and uh, didn't finish the first race. Had the technical problems again in the second race. But we've been bouncing back from difficulty all the time. And uh, this uh, doesn't make us any weaker. It's great to see you smiling, because I've just spent a day in the uh, paddock club, the F1 paddock club, and I've run into a few F1 drivers who are pulled in to do their 30-second official interview, then off they go, and there's lots of pressure on them. They don't look like they're enjoying themselves anymore. Now, you're on the fast track now. The way it's going for you, it's not going to be that long before you're somewhere in F1. Do you think you're going to enjoy it? Oh, I think I have, uh, I'm not too far behind them in terms of official interviews and, uh, <laughs> and uh, business with press, but uh, I think I take great enjoyment in driving, 
it's really my passion in life and fast cars and cars in general but uh, you know I, obviously when you have a good day in the circuit you you feel yourself with joy and confidence and uh, today was a great day for me yeah so uh, taking pole positions is uh, it's almost as good as a race win because you know that you just beat the other guys because you're quicker than them and uh, that's something that really gives a driver a boost of confidence so um, I'm quite confident now and I'll be even more confident if I win the race tomorrow your uncle was famous for speaking his mind you know saying whatever came to him but that was in a very different age in motorsport today you have to thank the sponsors you have to say the team did a great job and you got a great package and that's about all you can say or do you do you find that there are ways of getting your message across are you limited are you, are you throttled from what you can say these days not at this moment to be honest uh, uh, I say things because I whenever I feel that they are right so today and well this whole year the team has been great and I say it not to put them up but it's, it's because it's true uh -huh. and if I say that the sponsors help me it's because they really do you know I'm 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 one of the few drivers who uh, has the privilege of having a, a budget consisted that consists for from sponsorship, real sponsorship, not only uh, deals but actual sponsorship, and that takes a big weight off my shoulders because I don't have to waste or use my family's resources and take the privileges of other members of my family, yeah. and that makes the whole difference for me because uh, I want them to have a good life as well as I as I do. So um, you know. I'm happy that I, I'm privileged in these ways and uh, the moment is going quite well. There must be stuff occasionally that you'd really like to say that you can't say. Well, there's always a uh, few things that you can't say in public. <laughs> it does make your image a bit wrong. You, you, in Turkey, you managed to, to find the balance really well in Turkey with the dog incident in Turkey. I mean, you were furious. Yes, I was, but uh, there was no point on bashing people because... I know it's uh, something that shouldn't happen, but it happened. And uh, you can't just point fingers at people because you don't know whose fault it is, really. It could have been the guy that opened the gate and forgot the gate open, or it could have been the fault of the guy that inspected circuits and didn't, didn't see it. So it really it doesn't matter. And uh, it just that, that was probably your most dangerous moment in motorsport so far. That could have killed you, couldn't it? I had worse moments uh, with Formula 3. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, that was a bit scary because the speed was very high and um, animals in the circuit are quite unpredictable. So I'm happy that uh, I have a great uh, protection from God. And he, uh, <laughs> yeah. he made sure that everything was going right there. Cool. Bruno, it's uh, a joy to meet you. Um, I have to say one last thing. I've got two sons, uh, one who's eight years old in a couple of weeks and the other one is six years old and he was never really interested in GP2 until he saw one race it was the turkey race he said dad that's Bruno his best friend is called Bruno so you've got one fan a little Welsh boy in London so if no one else none of the guys that you've met out there on, on the pit wall today and sign autographs for you ever come back for, to support you again there's one guy who will support you for the rest of your career so do me one last thing say hi and this is Bruno hi this is Bruno thanks very much for supporting me man Thank you very much yeah, indeed. Yeah. And good luck for the rest of the season. I think it's probably yours. Hopefully. I'm working for it. Zog and I decided that we would record our review of the Silverstone Grand Prix 2008 while sitting in our Elise in the traffic 
as we exited the circuit because we reckoned it was going to take a very, very long time. We'd be sitting still and that'd be very efficient use of our time. But to be fair, we've rolled quite nicely, haven't we, Zog? Yeah, I think we're making pretty good time. We're already uh, nearly at the M40, I think. We're uh, yeah, doing pretty well. Now, the, the, the you know traffic management out of Silverstone is, is really pretty good. So why on earth are they going to take it to Donington in two years' time? Good question. But Bloody anyway, question. Yeah, the, the race at uh, Silverstone this weekend was a corker. Um, qualifying was perhaps a little bit disappointing if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, but very pleased to see Kimi Raikkonen get his first Formula One pole position. That was good, wasn't it? Absolutely. Heike seems to be coming on, he's developing more and more as a driver, looking better and better, and sure Ron Dennis is very happy with the way this weekend's gone. You know, spectacular result for Lewis. I mean, how dominant was that? Over a minute uh, yeah, lead he, at the end of the race. And he barely yeah. put a foot wrong because I didn't count the number of spinners. He, he but did th- put a foot wrong. I mean, he did he, he did have a little off. He got a little bit off the track in the wet, but Massa spun five times. Yeah. Um, and most of those five spins were directly in front of us because although we spent most of the weekend in the paddock club lording it up, on the day when it was raining and cold and wet and windy, we were out with the general public, well... We were in a stand. It was a covered grandstand, Luffield Sea, which I have to say, if you're choosing a place to go and watch a British Grand Prix, Luffield is a tremendous place. The last corner before the start-finish straight, quite a lot happens. For me, the most entertaining bit was when Jensen Button span right in front of us and did a beautiful 360-degree pirouette and managed to keep going. Got it going again very smartly, absolutely. And then again, he got a good uh, good little cheer for that, good round of applause. Yeah, um. warm affection for Jensen. They're not just Lewis fans, you know, we enjoy good entertainment I think at the race. And uh, Massa had a couple of spins that we saw directly in front of us. One which was very dramatic, where he ended up pointing three quarters right the way across the track. Uh, or was that Kimi? I forget. It was one of the Ferraris actually spun right in front of us. And Lewis had to thread his way through that. That was a very unnerving moment. Uh, but Massa did spin and landed up just on the grass, uh, on the verge that separates the racetrack from the entrance to the pit lane. So that was pretty hairy too, wasn't it? Absolutely. And there was so much you know, happening there. You know, we, we completely missed the fact that somebody had just gone off on at the far side of, of our direct field of view. Can't remember the name of the corner, but on the first or second lap, a Red Bull and a Toro Rosso had gone off. That's was right, that? was yeah. and Vettel. Um, Vettel went off. Which was a massive disappointment, first of all, because I think Vettel's a great driver, and I'd love to have seen him do well, because he'd been yeah. astonishingly quick all weekend, hadn't he? He'd qualified very well. And it would be nice also if Coulthard would have been able to get uh, a respectable result in his last Grand Prix. Is it, is it his last British Grand Prix, sorry. Yeah, heartbreaking. We, we completely missed it, because we were watching the cars you know, right in front of us you know, looked up and oh two cars in the gravel who's that um, oh it's a Red Bull and a Toro Rosso again so Which it is- was you know I mean for me that was- wonderfonderfully entertaining race um, and you know a, a, a marvelous result you know I'm uh, just wondering if it um, makes it very interesting at the top of the championship now with uh, three drivers tied for first place all with 48 yeah. points yeah we've got Lewis who I believe is leading on the tiebreaker but uh, Massa and Kimi being the other two and Kubica's not that far behind with 46 points even though he didn't have his greatest race today did he no, he didn't no but, but here's an interesting question just uh, when was the last time that two drivers from the same team were tied at the top of the championship, which is ah, the position yeah. that uh, Massa and Raikkonen are in at the moment. I mean, yeah, technically, um, Lewis wins on uh, on some kind of tie break, on, but on points, 
both Massa and Raikkonen are uh, at the are heading the uh, drivers' championship uh, along with Hamilton. And, uh, so I wonder when the last time that you know was it maybe uh, two McLaren drivers? That's what exactly when, what I was about to say. Yeah, Prost and Senna, yeah, perhaps. That's yeah, what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to look into that one, and if you know the answer don't bother emailing us because we'll be working out ahead of you before we get the mail I'm sure another thing that happened to us over the weekend was that uh, we got invited for a tour of the Toyota garage you lucky git and I learned a few things about F1 which I, I didn't realise one of which was how they monitor the temperature of the front tyres there's a tiny infrared transmitter receiver on the end plates of the front wing which points back at the front tyres and it reads what Zog describes as, what do you call it, black something temperature? Uh, I was wondering whether it's measuring what they call the black body radiation Black uh, body radiation, I think you might be right, yeah. 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 So lots of little detail that was fascinating but then it got even better having had this rather excellent tour of the garage, we were then shepherded into the Toyota motorhome in the paddock and we had dinner with well, go on, you a tell them. Well, a, a whole, whole bunch, bunch of Toyota. A whole bunch of Toyota people, folks, yes. And uh, when we sat down to take our places, you know, I, I found myself sitting next to Yano Trulli. You lucky git. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had no idea when we started off the day that I was going to be sitting down for dinner before the Grand Prix with Yano Trulli. That was, uh, so that, that was and, a very pleasant surprise. Uh, you you, you tried that, very hard to have a conversation with him. You didn't get very far, though, did you? No, well, he didn't seem in a particularly sociable mood. Uh-huh. Uh, I think uh, I got the feeling he did, didn't really want to be there. Um, I do kind of feel sorry for drivers who are... Uh, you know, I know doing PR stuff. Um, well, first off, some of the PR stuff you know, benefits us from time to time, and I know that this PR stuff is important to the teams and it's part of their you know, the contract. But it must be, you know, a huge pain in the ass if, when you want to be getting ready for a race or you want to be doing something other than being wheeled into a, a, a room of reporters uh, and assorted other folk to press to the flash and, uh, and to answer and, uh, the uh, same uh, questions everyone else asks. Uh, exactly, yeah, you know. You, but you, you know, asked him about wine, friend. didn't you? He got a bit more animated when uh, uh, when we were talking about his, his wine making, because uh, uh, he makes wine back home in Italy. Um, and, uh, and apparently it's very good, although I, I didn't drink any because uh, I was uh, driving back and uh, it was it was his wine, apparently, that they were serving at the, at the meal. And I can tell you exclusively that he is not going to buy an iPhone. Is that right? He'd, yes. Why, why? What did you ask him? We were talking a bit about ga- uh, gadgets and stuff, and because uh, he'd been spending a lot of time on his phone one way or another, and I suggested that, you know, the iPhone was uh, the next cool phone gadget he should be getting, but uh, he, he wasn't convinced. He's, he likes the HTCs, so... Well, I, 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 I entered into a conversation with uh, Timo Glock, who was there just before we sat down for a meal. We had a few minutes to chat, and I have spoken to Timo once before. You lucky git. But this time, I wanted to explain something to him. Uh, it was very difficult trying to explain to someone who English isn't their first language. Oh, the traffic seems to have opened up there, Zog, and you, <laughs> you found second gear. It was very difficult trying to explain to Timo about... Cockney rhyming slang because the point is we've invented a new form of Cockney rhyming slang I think we've mentioned it on the show before that Timo Glock makes great Cockney rhyming slang for opposite lock I was giving it plenty of Timo you know a bit of opposite lock 
I'm not sure, Zog. He really fully understood what we it, were talking about. He was, he was, he was trying to follow. I think, but uh, Timo's English isn't quite as good as Yano's. I don't think he quite got it 100. No. He got a big laugh from everyone else in the room with us, but Timo kind of looked slightly bemused. So we'll see if you ever hear Timo referring to it. I gave it a bit of Timo. You'll know where he got it from. But anyway, that's it for now. What a great British Grand Prix! I hope you saw it. Uh, if you weren't there, hope you saw it on TV, or I hope that this coverage of it on Gareth Jones on Speed has given you a good idea of uh, what a fantastic race it was. That's it from me. I'm Gareth Jones. I'm Zog. We'll see you on the next Gareth Jones on Speed. Uh, as we're enjoying this Lotus Elise because the traffic's opened up. Hooray! See you guys. Get more info on this show at garethjones.tv. Write to the show on speed at garethjones.tv or subscribe for free at the iTunes store. Gareth Jones on Speed is made by Whizbang. <laughs>